So we're talking about a God who is, is bigger than every circumstance and challenge and elevating our perspective of God. So last week we talked about bigger faith and there was so much content that we didn't even have time to go into that I, I figured out that this week we're going to do part two, all right? So this is bigger faith, part two. And last week we, we heard this quote from Pastor Craig Rochelle that we are faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm, risk takers. Can I get an amen? Amen. We will never insult God with small thinking and safe living. We are faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers. We will never insult God with small thinking and safe living. I love this next quote from Jamie Buckingham. He says, Attempt something so big that unless God intervenes, it's bound to fail. You know, as a church, we want to dare God, uh, not in a disrespectful way, but we want to say, God, we want to step out uh, and, 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 and dare you to, to move supernaturally in our church and in our lives individually, right? We don't want to be so safe and always have a guarantee and always have it all perfectly figured out and take little baby steps with God and so we never give God the space to do a miracle. The size of the supernatural move of God is going to be uh, connected to the size of your step of faith that you're willing to take. So we want to, we want to say, God, we want to look to do things so big that it would fail. It will surely fail if you don't intervene. Let me give you a, a, an acronym here. It's called a GSV. And everybody needs a GSV. You know what a GSV is? It's a God-sized vision. God-sized vision. As a church, we always want to have a powerful, daunting, challenging GSV. God-sized vision. And in our own lives, we want to have a GSV. If God doesn't come through, it's going to fail. And we talked about last week that to check our faith level by asking this question, if all the prayers that you prayed last week, if God answered every single prayer that you prayed last week, would your food be blessed and you'd get the right parking spot? Or would thousands of people come to Christ? Would churches get planted? Would millions of dollars get given uh, to world missions? Like, did you pray bold, faith-filled, bet-the-farm, risk-taking prayers? Or is your faith sort of meted out in this level that your food is blessed and you got the parking spot and maybe you lost two pounds? And it's okay to pray for your parking spot and pray for your food. And it's okay to pray to lose some weight because, hallelujah, I lost two pounds last week. Come on, can I get an amen? Get it. I love it, right? But, uh, uh, but that's fine. But, but don't, don't, don't let your prayer just be about you and just small-minded. Kick it up a notch. Pray some big, bold, audacious prayers. Anybody pray any big, bold, audacious prayers this week? Jared, you did. Come on. Get it. He prayed for his wife, right? <laughs> yeah. He had to be here last week. All right. We talked about three faith-filled facts last week. That Number one, you can't play it safe and please God. Cannot play it safe and please God. You've got to take a risk. And number two, as long as you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. There's a word for people that always need a guarantee in life. They're called cowards. No soldier would, would run into, into the the line of fire for his country or to save another fellow soldier if he, had a, if he needed a guarantee that he'd be safe. Courage is when you don't have a guarantee. Faith is when you don't have a guarantee. Faith is when there's a risk involved, but the romance is in the risk. The power's in the risk. God comes through and we're saying, God, we're going to take a risk without a guarantee, not just based on blind faith, but on trust because we know who you are, right? God's revealed himself to us. And then Number three, we, we talked about that to step toward your destiny, you have to step away from your security. Talked about Jack's night night, his security blanket, right? Bethany was teasing me last night because I said, "Hun, will you throw down Jack's iPad? I mean Jack's night night. And she said, that's your night night. <laughs> Uh-oh. 
my precious. Okay. I love it. I can watch ESPN on it. <laughs> the step toward your destiny, you have to step away from your security. That thing that makes you feel safe and comfortable. That job, that relationship, that, that state of mind, whatever it is that's your security, you got to step away. You have to step out to find out, is God going to come through? That's what faith is about. So as we jump in today, we're talking about bigger faith, elevating our perspective of God. When we see God in his rightful place, when we see a God who is bigger than every circumstance and challenge, our faith is going to increase, right? And we're talking about big faith. And there's a passage of scripture. It's Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Pantheon of Faith. It's this list of men and women of God through the scriptures that had great, big, bold, magnificent, beautiful faith. And I want to read you a couple of these verses, uh, just seven verses out of the message paraphrase of the Bible, because I like some of the wording and the way that, uh, that it's phrased here. And we're going to look at some examples of great, big, magnificent faith. Okay, so uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. Did you know that just God himself and a faith in a God who exists is the fundamental fact that makes life worth living. Without God, there's no morality, there's no meaning, there's no destiny. All you are is a, a sack of bone and blood and biology, right? And, and when you die, you're just going to go back into the earth and that's it. That's, that's what life without God looks like. So faith in this God who is invisible yet seen through his people and seen in his church, that's the fundamental fact that makes life worth living. So faith is actually at the base of life that's worth living, Okay. It's as philosophical as I'm going to get today, so don't worry. We're... It's our handle on what we can't see. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's word, what we see created by what we don't see. By an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, though, not what he brought, that made the difference. A lot of times people think, well, if I bring the right sacrifice, that's what pleases God. No, it's not what you bring, it's what you believe. It's what you believe. The Bible's full of talking about people that were justified by their faith. We're not justified by our works, we're justified by our faith, our belief in God, our trust in the grace of Jesus. To be a Christian is to believe with all that you are and to stake your claim, to stake your trust on the reality that Jesus died for your sins, paid for your sins, and by trusting in Him and putting your faith in Him, that he will save you. When you die, you'll be raised again in resurrection. It's not what you bring, it's what you believe. Okay? It says, that's what God noticed and approved as righteous. After all these centuries, that's that belief that continues to catch our notice. Goes on, by an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. There was this guy in the, in the Old Testament before Noah, way back in, this, in ancient history, and it says, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. And it's just like, what? He was just like, disappeared. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, I think it's called the Taken or The Taken. or the I can't remember the... Something Taken, where it's... it's um, Julia Moore, I think, is the actress. And there's this scene where this woman's like walking outside and all of a sudden it's like an alien abduction movie. And she just goes, whoop, and gets sucked up into the clouds. And you're just like, heart stops. It's freaky. You need to watch it. I have to, I have to remember what the, the movie's called. But it's, it's crazy scary. And, and she's just taken right out of, out, out off the earth and sucked up into the clouds. And I'm wondering if that's what happened to Enoch. Hopefully God had a little slower elevator. But he, he was, 
he was walking with God and then he skipped death completely. Like he didn't even pass through that. He just was taken by God because of this relationship. It was by an act of faith. What would it be like to walk with God so closely that you don't even die? I mean, I don't even, can that even happen? I don't even know. But yeah, apparently it can. I mean, it happened to Enoch and they couldn't find him. We know on the basis of reliable testimony, it says that before he was taken, he pleased God. And then this famous verse about faith, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. Faith is a prerequisite for pleasing God. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. It says in verse 7, By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. You know how long it took Noah to build this boat? 120 years. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a long time, right? That's a long time. Can you imagine like year 83? You're like, nope, trust me, the rain's coming, you know? 120 years. Now, luckily Noah lived to be like over 900 years old or whatever, so, but still, that's a gargantuan task. What kind of faith? What kind of commitment level do you have to have to continue to build a ship on dry land? They'd never seen it rain. It had never rained before. They had no concept. It was all invisible, but it was faith. It was a handle on what he couldn't see. He was warned about something he couldn't see, and he acted on what he was told. The result? His family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. He became a friend of God. He became someone that pleased God and did what was right in the sight of God and was accepted by God because of his faith. It wasn't his, the building of the boat wasn't it, it was the belief. It was the commitment, the the activated trust in what God had spoken to him. So we're talking about bigger faith today. I want to be like those people that had that bold, big, magnificent faith. How about you? So I want to give you three things this morning. Three things to have bigger faith I must Okay? To have bigger faith, I must, number one, live like God really exists. Number one, to have bigger faith, I must live like God really exists. Now, you might be saying to me, well, Jake, I'm at church today. I do believe in God. Uh, I do believe He exists. But no, actually, it's possible to believe intellectually that there is a God and live as if He does not exist. So there's a difference between belief that stays here and belief that goes here and here and here. In other words, to what I feel and experience, what I really believe, how I, how I interact with the world, what I do and my actions. It's possible to be what's called a Christian atheist, which is somebody who affirms all the right stuff with their belief. Intellectually, they've committed to Christ. Intellectually, they've committed to, to the existence of God. But in their actions, what they do, what they watch, what they listen to, what they do with their money, how they treat their spouse, how they raise their kids, where they go to school, where they work, they don't live like there's a God. I mean, think about, there's people in the world that actually believe there are aliens, right? And hey, you, don't, you can't prove that there's not, right? So let's not be too quick here. I don't believe in aliens. But anyways, what if you really did believe that at any given moment, you could be abducted. I guarantee you, you wouldn't go walking in cornfields in the middle of the night. <laughs> right? Like, if you really were commit, like, you really thought that there were aliens, and they were on the lookout to, you know, patrolling around to, like, suck you up into the sky, and take you to, you know, Zanadudu, or whatever they go, I don't know, Mars or something, but if they were really there, and you really had this belief, 
it would really change what you did, it would really change how you thought, it would change your perspective on everything. What about if you really were committed to this belief that, there, that Bigfoot was out there? You know, if I run around in the woods with my shirt off, people get this belief, you know, so hairy, but trust me, that never happens, so you don't have anything to worry about. But like, if you believed in Bigfoot, that changed the way you camped, wouldn't it? Tell you what, I'd be camping with like my back to the rocks and a gun, you know, all bug-eyed, looking out. If I really was committed to this belief, if I really had it, it would change everything, wouldn't it? It would change everything. But you don't really believe in aliens. You don't really believe in Bigfoot. And I want to say something to you. You probably don't really believe in God because you put him in the same category, don't we? Sometimes I put God in the same category as Bigfoot, as, as aliens. Well, maybe it could be, or maybe I'll actually say, well, I really believe in God. But then when it comes down to the way that I live, the space that God should be occupying, if he existed, I fill it with other stuff other commitments, other things. I don't fundamentally alter my actions, my behaviors, my thoughts, my feelings, my relationships. I don't fundamentally alter them as if there is a God who is present, who is in, wants to have a relationship with me. And faith is making this connection inside of ourselves where we say, I'm not going to live like God doesn't exist. I'm going to act and believe and trust and act as if he really does exist because he really does. Therefore, it matters how I interact with the reality of God. So to have bigger faith, I have to live like God really exists, don't I? I have to begin to let my heart and my actions reflect the reality of God in my life. And this kind of intellectual affirmation without real trust and real belief, it happens when we agree with our head but disagree with our heart or our actions. An example of this in my life is sugar. How many of you love sugar? Like I've watched the, the Netflix documentaries. I know that sugar is poison. It's not good for you. If you like go home at night and you're like, oh, cool, a Slurpee. You know, nerds. Snickers. You know what I mean? Oh, cake. You know, it's not good for you. You're not going to be healthy. You're not going to feel good. You will die sooner, right? You can get diabetes. Like we know that like the overconsumption of sugar is wrong. Are we agreed on this, right? Okay. Somebody's like, no, I'm out of that. I'm leaving this church. <laughs> This is demonic. You're addicted. Get free. Okay, but I like struggle with sugar. I know that it's poison. I, sugar's fine in like moderation. I, you know, and eat an apple, but don't, you know, don't eat like an entire box of candy in one sitting two times in a row. Okay. <laughs> nerds are like cracked to me. Like I love nerds. You know what I mean? And I went to the dentist one time and they were like, did you like start eating a bunch of candy? And I was like, yeah, I had these giant Easter nerds. And I ate two boxes. Okay. They could see what it did in my teeth. So I know this intellectually that sugar's not good for me. It's poison. But it tastes so good. And you bring a gummy bear in front of me and I turn into a puddle of lack of willpower. The only thing I can't resist is temptation. You know? We were camping last week and my mom is just the worst with this. You know, she doesn't help. I love my mom, but she's Italian, you know? If you want to stop her from giving you food, you have to shoot her. You know, and you can't graze her. You got to plant one. You know, it's, she's coming at you. And so my mom's like, hey, I got, we got gummy bears. And it's the huge bag. I was telling Justin Crossing last week, if you want to laugh, go read the Haribo sugar-free gummy bear reviews on Amazon. And you'll thank me later. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. Somebody calls them Satan's diarrhea hate bears. So gummy bears, though, like, they seem so innocuous and harmless. It's a little cute little bear. 
made of gum. You know what I mean? Look, gummy bear, he's just cute. You look at the calories and the sugar content, it's insane. And here I am, I'm grabbing handfuls. I'm hiding in a corner and they're coming out of my mouth, you know? And then my sister, Lord help her, she brings out this giant bag of American flag Skittles. Skittles! So much sugar in such a little tiny parcel, you know? And so I'm ha I'm, I have handfuls of these. So the whole week, I'm struggling with insane guilt because I have no self-control. I know sugar's not good for me, but I can't stop myself, and I overindulge in sugar, and then I get sick one night, right? Like, totally sick to my stomach. Why? Because I think my body was, like, telling me, you are done. If you can't control yourself, I'm going to control you. And my body just said, done. You're going to lay down. You're going to be sick because you have overindulged in sugar. Now you go, what's the point of this? Other than just laughing about sugar and our lack of, my lack of self-control. The point is this. I know that it's not good for me. But I don't always live like it's not good for me. And sometimes I have to get sick to get back to the reality that sugar's not good for me. Because see, when I felt sick, I swore off sugar for the rest of my life. Until next camping trip. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it was like, yeah, tomorrow. It, 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 it became real to me, and I began to live again as if what I affirmed with my intellect that sugar's not good for me was real. Now think about God. Sometimes we live like God is real, and we have, this, we have good times of prayer, and we're in the Word, and, and, our, and our actions and our behaviors are changing because God is real, and we're living like He's real, and then we get pulled aside in just that intellectual belief, and we, we don't really change our actions, but we want to live like God is real. We want to Live like He really exists. That's what bigger faith, it leads us to bigger faith and we live that way. It's not enough just to believe. I mean, James tells us that even the demons believe and they tremble. They believe in God. They know there's a God. I mean, but belief isn't enough in itself. So here's a question for you. What are three areas, and I want you to write these down, okay? If you have a piece of paper, a pen, uh, or an iPhone, or iPad, or Android, or whatever you've got, or just strong mental power. But I, I do want you to do this either now or later this week, write down three areas in your life that need to change based on a bigger faith in God's existence. Maybe for you this is an area of trust. You need to begin to believe in the work of salvation, that Jesus did die for your sins and pay for them, and that is, that is a finished work. And it's, you need to rebuke and reject shame and condemnation because the work of Jesus is, is sufficient, His work of grace. So it's an area of trust. Maybe for you it's an area of unrepentant sin. There's something that you're being convicted of. You know that it's wrong. It, it's, not, it's not meant to be in the life of a man of God or a woman of God. And it's an area of unrepentant sin. And you need to deal with that area and stop ignoring it and stop sweeping it under the rug or putting it in the closet. You need to pull that thing out into the light and you need to give it to the Lord. You need to deal with it. It's an area of trust because there is a God. We are accountable for what we do. We can't we can't live a double life and expect that it won't affect us. You don't have a double life. You just have one life. There is no such thing as a secret life that doesn't affect your real life, right? If I'm living in unrepentant sin, it, it seeps into my marriage, my kids, my relationships, my life, my walk with God. So maybe it's an area of unrepentant sin. Maybe it's an area of forgiveness. There's somebody that has done something wrong and you need to release them in forgiveness. That doesn't mean that everything feels better right away. Your forgiveness and feeling are two different things. How you feel is, is really in a lot of ways unrelated to your, your, how you forgive, okay? Now forgiveness, here's the, the good news, when we forgive and release people, eventually the feeling follows, okay? 
But, but walking by faith and walking by discipline and trusting in God, we have to step into some of these areas. So three areas, maybe there's some, maybe it's just one, but maybe there's, I think there probably could be three. Hey, this, this is going to change in my life because I'm going to have bigger faith in God's existence. Number two, to have bigger faith, I must, number two, see God in his rightful place. I must see God in his rightful place. Most of us have a vision of God that is way too small. And it might be way wrong even of what the real God is like. So to have bigger faith, we really have to get a right perspective. We have to see God in his rightful place. And that changes everything for us. There's this commercial right now that I just think is the coolest thing since sliced bread, which is really cool because toast is amazing, right? <laughs> There's this commercial where these NBA, ball, these NBA players who are just freaks of nature, incredible athletes. I think one of them is Kyrie Irving and they dress him up and they do this crazy, amazing makeup and they make him look like old dudes. Have you seen this? So they get Kyrie Irving and he goes out to like this uh, basketball court somewhere in inner city somewhere and these guys are playing hoops and, and, and girls are all playing hoops and it's big group people. So the old man McDuff walks up, you know, and he, he kind of comes up and he's like, hey, whippersnapper, you know, throw me the ball. And he kind of is limping around and they're like, oh, yeah, grandpa, good job, you know. All of a sudden, he just turns it on, right? This is an NBA, all-world, all-star basketball player. He starts shooting rainbows, you know, three balls, boom. He, he starts, you know, crossing them over and flipping it around and spinning the ball around and just dunking on fools. You know what I mean? It's insane. And they're just like, ah, and they start freaking out because here's grandpa shredding on the basketball court. And you see, a lot of times we see God and we're like, hey, grandpa, you don't know what's underneath the surface. You know what I mean? You ever been on a machine that's way more powerful than you thought? Right? I remember driving like my aunt got a Porsche one time. I think I was 16 and she's obviously not intelligent because she let me drive it. Uh, with her in the car and I remember hitting the gas and it, it, it freaked me out because I did not realize what was under the hood. Come on, you hear what I'm talking about today? What am I saying here? God is more than you think he is. You might think he looks like Santa Claus or grandpa. No, he can dunk it on you, right? He can dunk it on the circumstance. You got to see God in his rightful place. I remember one time I was playing basketball at 24 hour fitness and uh, my, 20, my fitness lasted about 24 hours of <laughs> total. But anyways, I was playing basketball at 24-Hour Fitness, and I went down there, and, and I am the worst basketball player ever. You know, if I had agility or skill or speed or uh, height or swiftness or any of those attributes, I'd be good, but since I lack all of them, I'm not. Uh, so I was playing basketball, and this guy comes in, and he's probably in his 50s, you know, nice-looking older guy, in pretty good shape, not crazy, not real buff or anything, just comes in, he's like, wants to play, and there's all these, you know, hotshot 20-year-olds uh, who are, of course, think they're, you know, the second coming of Michael Jordan, even though they're never going to be better than, like, a gym rat basketball player, you know, the guy who can't pass the ball for some reason because he's, you know, not allowed to, I guess, but, and so this older guy comes in, and all the young bucks are like, yeah, I pick you, pick you, so I get picked. This guy, no, I'm sorry, I was a captain, so I'm, I'm picking the team. So I, I see this guy, and I didn't pick him because he was tall or anything. I picked him to be nice because he wasn't getting picked. I'm like, I'll take this guy, you know, and he comes over, hey, thanks, you know, shakes my hand. We get out on the court, okay, and this guy does that Kyrie Irving thing where he's, <laughs> he is insane. He's, he's, he's alley-ooping, like, it, I mean, just crazy. He's doing outlet passes, like, down the court. 
he dunks it, he rebounds, he boxes out, he does everything and like at an elite level and everybody is absolutely floored. So after we played with him for a couple hours, I'm like, have you, like, what's your basketball? He's like, oh, I played for the Indiana Pacers. <laughs> In the National Basketball Association, my friends. This guy was, a, he had played professional basketball, and here he is in Medford, Oregon, and he was on my team, and needless to say, we dominated those suckers. Okay. I didn't know who he was. Nobody could see him for what he really was. Do you see God in his rightful place, or do you relegate him to the bench because you don't get it? Come on, faith says, no, God needs to get on the team. I need to see God as, as what he really is. I need to look beyond the things that maybe don't make sense and trust that God is going to come through because you might have an Indiana Pacer on your basketball team that you don't know about, right? See God in his rightful place. Who do you really worship with your life? Do you give more glory to Satan or, or God? You hear people like, oh man, you know, oh, the devil's just got me down. He's, he's all over me and all the glory goes to Satan. Give the glory to God. Man, I serve an awesome God. I'm not afraid because I have faith in a God who is there, a God who exists. I see him in his rightful place. I'm not giving more glory to God or giving more glory to something else than God. There was a worship leader that I had a chance to work with one time, and this was many years ago. And this man, uh, he, he talked a really big game. You know, like, I'm a great singer, and I, just, I could lead people in worship and just bring the funk down, bring the glory. And it, he had a really good, he talked a really good game. And he would come every time when I gave him an opportunity to lead worship, he would come and, it, and he would always say, oh yeah, I'm just, oh, the devil's attacking my throat. <laughs> it's cracked me up. <laughs> like, really? He's attacking your throat? You'd think he'd attack somebody who had a better voice his throat. But anyways, <laughs> this guy, he, he was just really like, he, he, he talked his game was up here. His actual ability level was like down here. And he would sing with this kind of like weak, raspy, wispy voice. And it was just, it was awkward. So... But thank the Lord for him. He was on the team. Hallelujah. But anyways, he gave so much glory to Satan. Like, Satan's attacking my throat. or oh, the devil's got me down. And all this kind of stuff. Now, luckily, this guy, I think, has started to give more glory to God. Thank you, mister. But it was hilarious because all the time, all that came out of him was how much he's being attacked and how bad his life is and how it was always keeping him down. You know, the thing is that excuses always work. Don't use them. You know, do you, you want to be excused from being a champion in life? No. We'd always tell our interns in Medford, listen, if you tell us you're sick and you can't come in, we don't, we're not going to come hunt you down. Your excuse will work. You'll get the day off. But you will excuse your, if you continually excuse yourself because of weakness and the enemy and everything else, you are excused from excellence. You are excused from victory. I don't want to be excused from victory. I don't want to give more glory to the devil than to God. I want to see God in his rightful place. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. These are colossal pillars of our faith that God is there. He rewards those who sincerely seek him and to see him in his rightful place. Now, I want to say a couple of things here as we continue on this and we'll, we'll wrap it up soon. But a lot of times we think that when we have doubt, or we have any doubt at all that that's the opposite of faith and that we're really being, uh, we're lacking faith. But I want to tell you something, that doubt is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is unbelief. Doubt is, is like fear in the face of danger. When you have fear in the face of danger, that's okay. Courage is not doing the right thing without fear. It's doing the right thing 
in spite of fear or in the midst of fear. In the same way, faith is doing the right thing, making the right choice, casting your belief and trust on God even when there's doubt. Do you understand? So unbelief, though, is the opposite of faith. And what is unbelief? Unbelief is activated doubt. Unbelief is when I choose to give my doubts the place that faith should occupy. Unbelief is when I choose to give my, when I activate my doubts, faith is activated trust. When I trust God and I take a step, that's faith. When I, when I trust God and I take a step towards what he's calling me to do, that's faith. When I have doubts, because you're going to have doubts and belief simultaneously, right? Because you're a human being. That's what we all have, don't we? There's a guy in the Bible that said, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Perfect depiction, a perfect uh, picture of, of how we all are. There's inside of us both faith and unbelief, faith and doubt, correct? But unbelief is the opposite of faith, and it's, it's evil, actually. And I'll read you a verse that talks about this. But unbelief is when I have doubts and I choose to activate those doubts and accept that reality of God. Don't, I don't see him in his rightful place. I know who he is, but I don't see him in his rightful place. Faith is when I activate trust and I step towards what God's calling me to do. It's when I trust in God and I choose to act upon that trust. That's faith. Unbelief is making a choice to believe in a weaker version of God than the one that I know exists. Unbelief is making a choice to believe in a weaker version of God than the one I know exists. Unbelief is when you know God is here and you say, I'm only going to trust him here. Unbelief is when you know God is here and you're only going to trust him here. Now look, how does this work practically? Well, if I trust Jesus as savior, why can I not trust him as provider? When I hear the the message about generosity and I hear the message about becoming a tither, you know, maybe, maybe God's challenging you to become a percentage giver. Bethany and I, we don't say this is how much money we give. We say this is the percentage that we give. Why? Because we want to give God an incentive to increase the amount that he gives us. Does that make sense? So a lot of people think, well, I can give God, you know, $100 and, and we do it that way. And that just caps you right there. It's not a spirit of generosity. When you say, no, this is, this is where I'm at. This is the percentage that we're going to give. Watch what God will do. Because if, if he can get it through you, he can get it to you. Right? But so if I believe in Jesus as Savior, why can't I trust him as provider? If I trust in Jesus as provider, why can't I trust him as leader and master and guide of my life? So a lot of people are like, yeah, I'll, give my, I'll, I'll trust God with my finances. I have faith to trust God with my finances. Or I have faith to trust Jesus as my Savior. But the minute that, that you get challenged in your faith, and maybe you, it's time to take that step of faith to a new career. Maybe it's time to quit that job and the Lord's calling you to plant a church. Or maybe God's calling you to be a missionary. Whatever it is. And then you go, oh, I can't do that. That's believing in a weaker version of God than you already believe in. That's unbelief. See what I mean? It's where that doubt comes in and you choose to activate it as opposed to activating the trust that you have in God. So I want to encourage you wherever you're at on the faith-o-meter. Maybe you trust Jesus as provider and you are a giver and you're generous. God bless you. That's awesome. Take another step. Maybe you trust God as leader and you're always going to follow Jesus, but that money thing for you is like, take another step. Maybe for you, salvation, you know, you trust in God that he'll provide for you and take care of you and lead you, but you just always doubt, always struggle with, am I saved? Am I a Christian? Am I, does Jesus love me? Does he forgive me? And that's where you need to take a step forward. So wherever you are, you can take a step forward. Activate trust. Don't believe in a God who is weaker than the one that you know exists. Hebrews 3.12 says this, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, be in any of you an evil heart 
of unbelief in departing from the living God. The Bible says that an unbelieving heart is an evil heart. Why? Because God has revealed himself to us. You know, the, the thing is, church is a dangerous place. Did you know that? Did you come to Joy Church today? It's, a, it's very dangerous. Why? Because you are hearing God's word. It's dangerous for me to preach this message. It's very dangerous. Why? Because now I'm accountable to what I've heard. I can't say I didn't know. Can't say I didn't hear. The Lord is calling us into faith. Number three, to have bigger faith, I must, and we'll wrap this up quickly. To have bigger faith, I must trust God when it really counts. Come on, this is a big one. I got to trust God when it really counts. Anytime we're driving in the car and there's like almost an accident, my mom has her classic line and it goes like this. Jesus, 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 Jesus. She is able to rapid fire machine gun the, the name of Jesus faster than a human being should be able to. Because my mom, when it counts, that's what comes out of her. That's who she calls upon. Come on. When it counts. Now, when it counts, where do you go? Is God your first responder or your last resort? Is God your first responder or your last resort? And do you trust God with what matters most to you? For some people, their health is an area of fear and that they, they struggle and it really matters to, to them. And, and is that, do you trust God with it? Maybe for you, it's your spouse, your marriage, and you're always worried about your spouse leaving you or there's no trust or whatever. And do you trust God with your spouse? For a lot of us, it's our kids. Man, my kids, it's hard to trust God with kids. I worry about them. Oh, Lord, I want them to love you. I want them to know you. I want them to make good decisions. I don't want them to get a face tattoo of a spider web. You know, I, I don't, right? At least get like a fish or something. I don't know, but not a spider web. I don't want them to go to jail. I don't want them to do something wrong. How many of you, right? And I got to, it's hard to trust God. Do you trust God with what matters most to you? You know, a couple days ago, Beth, I was working in my office downstairs and I was talking on the phone with an insurance agent and it was an important phone call and Bethany sent me a text and she said, hey, I'm going to go take a quick walk. Jack and Penny are asleep and they're in, the, in their room and Evie's watching TV. I said, That's great. You know, so she went for her walk and I hear Evie start crying. So I, I you know, said, excuse me, sorry. And I, I ran upstairs. Evie, you know, be quiet. Mom's going to be right back. And I go back downstairs and I don't hear anything. Well, Bethany comes back about half an hour later. She says, where's Evie? Those are the two worst words, correct, that you ever hear. Hey, where's Thatcher? Like, oh no, you know what I mean? It, it's horrible, right? Where's Evie? I don't know. I'm looking all around because they hide. You know, she's looking in the, the uh, clothes, what do you call them? Uh, a washer and a dryer. Yeah, I'm looking in there because uh, Jack crawled in there one time. Oh my gosh. I'm looking in the closet, Evie, Evie, Evie. And finally I'm yelling, you're scaring us. And it's elevating, right? And we, she's not in our house, she's not there. So at this point in time, I'm like freaking out, okay? Now, let me just tell you, however cool and calm and collected, you know, you think that I am or whatever, maybe you don't think that, but if you did, I'm not. But in this moment, I, all of a sudden, I'm just like, Jesus, Jesus, please, Jesus, help me find her, Jesus, we gotta, you know, and so we're screaming. You just lose, you lose it, right? Our neighbors are like, you know. <laughs> and so Bethany goes running up the hill, and she runs up the hill and runs down the hill, and she finds her. 
And I'm trying to get Penny and Jack because I don't want them to run away while we're looking for Evie, you know. It works for Jesus to go after the one sheep, but we got to hold on to the 99, you know. And so, I'm, I, so Bethany runs up and she finds her. So she screams, I have her. And I'm like, oh God, thank you. And that relief floods into me. But it's those moments. I don't turn to 911. And I'm not saying don't call 911. You should if you need to. But no, when, I, when it counts, like with my kids, I have, God is what, where we go. You know what I mean? In those those moments. Now, you're probably like, what happened in the story? Well, she decided, she, she told us she wanted to save mom's life. So she snuck out of the house to go save mom's life, which we told her later. You didn't need to save mom's life. She was on a walk. And we found out how far she'd gone. And she'd gone pretty far, uh, walked in our neighborhood. Luckily, not on any busy streets. You know, there's like a, it's kind of a, a homeowner's association area. And she walked down and went to a place that we normally walk. So she was safe the whole time, but freaky, right? Totally freaky. But when it really counts, who do we trust God? Now we barricade the door also. But we trust God in those moments. I mean, there was a time my dad and I were on the phone, and I was getting ready to move up to Eugene a couple years ago. And he stepped out, and I was still on the phone. And uh, he started coming back in the room. And all of a sudden, I looked at him, and his eyes rolled back in his head, and his head hit the wall, and he collapsed. And I just chucked the phone down. I didn't hang up or anything. Chucked it down in the chair, ran over. And I immediately am speaking in tongues, Praying, your theology just, you don't worry about who's offended by you speaking in tongues, like when somebody that you care about, you know what I'm saying? It was like any, anything I had, any weapon I could pull out of a holster that has anything connected with God, it's coming out right now. You know what I mean? Immediately praying, crying out, I'm just 100% all in. When it counts, when it matters to you, do you really trust God? You know, in those moments when, when, when something is on the line, whether it's a crisis moment like the ones I just described to you, or it's, a, or it's just an act of faith moment, when it really counts, when it's a high stakes moment, do you trust God or do you not trust God? Right? Do you see God in his rightful place? Do you, do you believe that he really exists? Or, or is that just something cute that you say and go to church on Sundays? When it really counts, do you trust in God? This is what faith is about. You're like, oh man, I don't really like it. No, I don't either, but that's what it's about. It's hard, isn't it? But you know what? When... We don't trust in outcomes. We trust in the faithfulness of God. Amen. Is God our first responder or our last resort? You know, if it doesn't matter to you, if it's unimportant, inconsequential, it doesn't take any faith. There was a guy in the Bible that came up to Jesus and he lived a really good life. He was a rich young ruler, the Bible says. So he comes up and he's got his, you know, nice slacks and whatever they wore, probably not his slacks, probably robes and his Nike sandals, you know, this is ancient Israel. And, and uh, he comes up to Jesus and he's like, I've kept all the commandments and you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes right to his heart issue and he says, give all that you have away to the poor and then come follow me. Now Jesus doesn't tell everybody to give everything away they have to the poor. He just goes after whatever it is that you're holding on to that is security, what matters to you the most. That's the area that God's going to come and challenge you. That's why in the area with kids, it freaks me out. But I, I, I know I have to face this, that I have to trust God with my children. I have to trust God with my finances, whatever thing matters. And Jesus says to this rich young ruler, you have to give it away to the poor and then come follow me. And the guy, it says he was sorrowful and he turned away because he wasn't willing to trust God with what mattered the most to him. If Jesus doesn't have your valuables, your goods, he doesn't have you and you do not have him. Right? This is a strong word. If Jesus doesn't have what matters to you, you see, all of us, imagine that your life is like this 
house and it has a lot of rooms in it, we all have that room that nobody's allowed to come into, right? And, and God doesn't work that way. Jesus doesn't, doesn't work that way. He doesn't, he's not a guest. He owns the house or he doesn't, right? You, you know what I'm saying? We think, well, I've got my life and I'll let God into it. No, when you trust Jesus, you give him your life. It's an exchange, his life for yours. He needs to have access to every room in the house. He needs to have access to all the jewelry drawers and all the stuff, whatever it is. That's what faith is about, and it's challenging, but if it doesn't matter, it doesn't really take faith, does it? So to have bigger faith, I've got to trust God when it really counts. How's your faith when the stakes are high? When the stakes are high. I want you to think about Jesus here for a minute as we get ready to close. Jesus exhibited the highest stakes faith ever seen in all of history on the cross. What do you mean? Well, Jesus, we understand biblically, was both fully God and fully man. And so the nature of God was within him. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. But there was also this 100% human part of Jesus. And that moment on the cross when he cries out, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Most scholars believe that what was happening there is that that second person of the Trinity, the Son, aspect of God lifted the father rejected him so that the man Jesus just like Adam introduced sin into the world one man that this man Jesus had to take all the sin but he was spotless and sinless and God can't die people tell you well God died for your sins God didn't die for your sins God can't die he can't die so that's not possible right Uh, so so what does that mean when people say God died for your sins it means that Jesus offered himself and he did die but it was the man that paid that price And in that moment, he felt every sin from all of history past to all of the future, all sins, Adolf Hitler's sins, Pol Pot's sins, Ted Bundy's sins, every person's sins were on Jesus in that moment. And God turned his face away and he was the only human being ever in all of history to have to take a risk to trust God that he would redeem him and pull him out of death. But for an instant there, Jesus was all alone beyond what we've ever even would be able to know. Even people that don't have a relationship with Jesus, God is still here. Okay? But in this moment for Jesus, that was the greatest faith gamble, the highest stakes faith ever witnessed was Jesus on the cross when he offered himself and had to trust that God would not leave him. The scripture says this, that I trust that you would not leave your chosen one in the depths of the grave. He trusted in God that he wouldn't leave him there. That, that would come. And so God raised him from the dead. But for a moment there, Jesus was all alone and he died absent from God. But that's when he cracked the bonds of death. Come on, high stakes faith put you and I here to know Jesus. That is the highest stakes faith. That's the highest stakes that have ever been. Incredible. I mean, Jesus could have, if, if God didn't come through for him, he would have been left with every sin from all time on him and in him. I mean, that's incredible to think about. Would God come through? That's who we follow. That's the champion of our faith. That's Jesus who we trust in. He exhibited the highest stakes faith, which means that when the stakes are high for you, you can put faith in him. And that doesn't mean that you have a guarantee that the outcome you think is going to happen is going to happen. What it means is that God is faithful. That God is faithful However your faith pays off for you, we don't know how that's going to happen on this side of eternity or the other side. But I can tell you right now that it pleases God when we have faith that God will come through for you. He will not, 
He will not leave you. He is bringing all of history to a culmination in his purposes. That's the God we serve. Bigger than every challenge, every circumstance, every sickness, every disease. That's the God we need to believe in. That's the God we need to see. Come on. We need to have bigger faith. So those three things, we have to live like God really exists. We, we need to see God in his rightful place. And we need to trust God when it really counts. Amen. Trust God when it really counts.